Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amy, thanks for reading Romans chapter 5, which was written by Paul. It's a little hot on the mic, that's okay. Um, So my plan would be that we just read that again and then pray and go home. Uh, They said we can do it as easy as we want to make it. So word of God, uh, truth of the gospel, see you later. Go live it. Is that, was your laughter agreement? Does that sound? (laughs) Um, Yeah, see you later. I'll turn, you can turn the mic off. Uh, So, would you pray for me and with me? I've got some questions to ask today that uh, I don't totally believe are from me. God in heaven, thanks for sending our ransom, our savior, to become our sin and take it to the grave in death. Thanks for conquering death and rising again. Thanks for the free gift of faith, of salvation in you. It's a mystery. It's simple enough for kids to understand it. It's hard enough to challenge us. It's also a stumbling block to some who don't want to surrender to you. I just say out loud today that you're the place where life is found. Help us be surrendered today as we look at your servant, Paul, who was once called Saul. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, We're in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter nine. We're moving along. Scott did six and seven together, so it was just like boom, boom. Um, But that was life of Stephen, um, the martyrdom of Stephen, which was great. And then thanks, John, for last week. There was a lot happening in the chapter eight. Um, so I appreciate that I didn't do that one. Um, <laughs> we only are doing the first half of chapter nine. Um, if you do the Bible app thing, um, that's great. So I'll like, encourage you to take your cell phone out. If you do use that, um, you don't have to, but we wanna make sure you've got the word of God in front of you. If, if, in, the, if in the chair in front of you there's a, there's a Bible, these ones are the ones we use. So we're, we're on page nine, uh, 17, I think. Um, if it's that Bible. And then if you have, uh, if you use the Bible app, uh, in the bottom corner, there's like the three dots for the menu and you can go to events and there's only one event in Chelan and it's ours. So you can click on that and it just, it'll just follow through um, with some of the notes and things like that. So if you wanna have your phone out, um, I won't know if you're following me or not, but that's okay. So 
go ahead and use the Bible app and search under events and you can find us. It should pop up immediately um, if you want to do that. Uh, if not, read along with me in chapter 9. So before we read, um, the question that I want to start out with, uh, the primer is, uh, are you an enemy of the gospel? Are you a friend of the gospel? So most of us in here are not teenagers, uh, so I'll paint that kind of picture. So someone who's not, it'll make it a little bit easier. If you're a 15-year-old boy, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the 15-year-old boy, that's who's in your mind's eye, um, he has chosen all friends and peers around him who are just influencing him towards you know, things of the world, um, uh, and actually away from anything that would, you would consider you know, godly, um, technically, if we're talking about churchy godliness things. Uh, he loves to laugh at humor that um, mocks God and, and uh, makes fun of the things that even God hates. He loves to laugh at that stuff. He's, he's always, he's always you know, listening and, and, and being, you know, kind of even maybe pridefully puffed up by, yeah, that's funny, um, that kind of stuff. Um, and he also has a mind, surprise, surprise, full of lustful thoughts at that age, just constantly, um, almost constantly. That's how he feels, at least. Is that boy an enemy of the gospel? Is that a trick question? Huh? Well, you might be thinking, whoa, whoa, what's, well, let's like judgy talk. Like, hold on. Uh, <laughs> Let me get back to the top here. Well, I, I will tell you, that boy is an enemy of the gospel because that was me. <laughs> I was an enemy of the gospel, of God. And that sounds really harsh, but I, that's how I would say it of myself. So you've got permission. Um, on the first slide here, um, we can go ahead, Luke. This is just some basic ideas. Uh, we have a few sections. Luke can go ahead. Yeah, there we go. Um, I want to talk to you about a different person who was an enemy of God. So now we get to read um, in chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Does that sound like a friend of the gospel? Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. You might kind of be familiar with this story a little bit, so read it fresh with me here. And falling to the ground... This dude, Saul, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He knew it was Lord, but he wasn't quite sure who Lord was. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Okay, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. This is the part I, until really studying this, I don't think I ever paid attention to this, verse seven. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, like the cartoon John the floor, like, what? Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul sees the light, he falls over, but even his friends heard this voice. So we know he's not uh, having some concussion moment. Um, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Was Saul an enemy of God? How do you know? Jesus said so. Jesus himself said, you're persecuting me? Did Saul think he was an enemy of God? 
Yeah, Saul would say this later in a, in a letter. He said, if anyone else thinks he has reason to have confidence in the flesh, I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, I was a Pharisee. And as to zeal, I was persecuting the church. And as to righteousness of the, under the law, I was blameless. I followed it all to the letter, boom. He was doing his darndest to be a friend of God, kind of. As kind of as far as he thought. Well, okay, how did Saul become a friend of the gospel that we just read? We were talking about this in sermon chat a little bit, and there's this blinding light, there's this miraculous thing, there's this like, oh, he fell asleep and woke up, or what are some of these weird things that are happening here? There's like this giant miracle, boom. But but really, at the, at what's really happening is Jesus actually shows up and starts a relationship with them. Uh, I've been involved with Young Life for a long time, and I love what the simple, simple one-line mission statement of Young Life is. It says, introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. We believe that if you introduce someone to Jesus, that then they'll know, that they'll, they'll get it. They'll really see it for, the, for, for real. So uh, I think, had, had Saul been introduced to Jesus yet up to this point? No. I think he thought he had been, right? He was persecuting the church because he thought, he thought he knew who Jesus was. He thought he understood Jesus. He thought this guy was just a blasphemer, crazy man who was actually leading people to something bad. He thought he knew who Jesus was. Uh, that is something that teens have told me for years. Yeah, 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 no, I know about that Jesus thing. I don't need that, I don't want that. That's not what I need, that's not what I want. I know Jesus and I know it's not for me. And you say to them, you don't know Jesus then, right? So when Saul was finally introduced to the real Jesus, things changed pretty quick. Um, before we move on, there's something that I want to make clear out of this, that you are either now or were once an enemy of God. And we see this all over the New Testament. Paul, Paul in, in a different letter to the church in Colossus, he says this, you who were once alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil deeds, and then he goes on to say that you were saved by Jesus on the cross. Uh, but this is, the, this is the truth of of. of Christian faith is that we, we have to become the new creation in 2 Corinthians 5. We, ha- we, we were an enemy of Christ. And, and sometimes the other thing teenagers would say to me is, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm good. I've been a Christian my whole life. Yeah, this is great. I love God. And some of them do love God, but they can't ever think in their mind, no, I had sin passed down from Adam and Eve that had to be forgiven, that I had to actually be reconciled to God. So... Um, that's one thing I wanted to make sure that it's clear here before we move on, that everyone in this room is either now or once was an enemy of God. Are you able to say from your heart, amazing grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me? That wretch language is pretty clear, I think. And I once was lost, but now I found. I was blind, but now I see. I, I think sometimes we've sung these words, and, but not have ever, or maybe not ever, but there's moments where we think, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good. But the gospel says otherwise. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. This section for me is like, we're just going to stay here on the gospel pretty much. So uh, this is the great, glorious mystery of the gospel that... For a good man, maybe someone would dare to die, but probably not. (laughs) But God sent his son Jesus at the right time while we were, and I'll say, enemies of him. And this isn't supposed to be a downer moment. This is supposed to be, whoa, how valuable are we to God that even while we were that, right? Just don't feel like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, Somebody I was talking to recently who's really close to me said, I came to church here and then said, I feel like a sinner. And I was like, oh my gosh, uh, what does that mean? And he goes, it, it, it's a good thing. 
I feel, it, feel, it feels like, oh my gosh, how could love, God love me like that? Um, growing up, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and during the Holy Week is that week right before Easter, for some of you might not know that. And so during that week, there was a, a service, or a, a, I don't know if it was a mass, it was something. But we'd all go, and we'd stand and read, and this guy had a part, and the deacon had a part, and this person had a part, but then in bold, the whole congregation had to read the part. during. Uh, you were reading through the Passion, Christ's Passion, all the all the arrest and all that, and our part was crucify him, crucify him. And every time I would be like 10 years old, thinking, oh my gosh, that's me, I'm doing that to him, <laughs> right? That's crazy. You and Saul and I are both the wretch in that song. We need to establish that basic of the gospel. We're not enough, and Jesus still wants to make a way for us. That's what is the most amazing part about what Jesus did on that road. That he'd, I don't know, this is, never mind. I'm just gonna do a, an illustration that doesn't make sense. And it's not necessary that Jesus would see this guy who's an enemy and show up and say, I don't want you to be that anymore. I'm gonna correct you and save you from the road you're going on, which is towards destruction. So the gospel, right? You and I were once enemies of God, and hopefully you're not anymore. So slide two. Okay, read with me here in verse 10. After all that happened, and now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, surprise. And he said, here I am, Lord. Just like Samuel, I wanna say that. We're just gonna keep moving on from that, but, but oh, if I could be the one who just instantly says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, isn't there another Ananias that you're thinking about? <laughs> um, the Lord said, Oh, but Ananias <laughs> answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from those chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. We've been looking a little bit now recently at how God's allowing these persecutions to come in to this very, very, very young but vibrant church of his to scatter them. And as they've been scattered, all these crazy things are happening. There's this eunuch in crazy places that, oh my gosh, now he understands and believes. How is this happening? And well, there's this spear coming into the church and just causing scattering, right? And this is for me a weird section because Paul is like the tip of that spear and, and, and this section about, wow, God's gonna scatter the church for the sake of spreading his gospel, but, but while he's doing that, he also is gonna save that spear tip and turn him into a, a tool for himself. And that's really cool. You know, this, this section is more about uh, this last week and even next week about the scattering of the church for the spread of the gospel. But this is a, a kind of a pause moment, kind of like, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm also going to, uh, to win this enemy for myself in the process. I'm gonna use this enemy to scatter you and then, then turn him into my own uh, child of God. How cool is that? So, what we just read there, here's a, here's a thought experiment. You are Ananias. Who is the Saul in your life? Uh, or, this might not be the right way you're thinking of it, but who could never ever come to Christ? Who's it that's got no hope of that? Is it a parent? A sibling? A coworker? One of your kids' friends? I didn't, I'm not saying that one aloud. 
But the, the better way also is to, who have you written off? I mean, this town, I mean, is one of the Mormons you know, or like there's a lot of groups here where we could say, oh, that, yep, nope. I'll be friendly with that person, I guess, but they're never coming to Christ. Ananias gets to have his mind blown here. This is a gift to Ananias. God, Jesus comes down, does this miraculous thing, blinds Saul with this weirdness, and, and, and Saul instantly realizes, oh, Jesus is the Lord, right? And he tells him, I am the Lord. And, but he still uses a member of the church to kind of complete this process. He doesn't just, he could have just said, great, I'm gonna, Holy Spirit, boom, fill you up with everything you need to know, and I'll baptize you. How cool would that be? Jesus shows up and baptizes you. Uh, but he doesn't do that. God wants to use us to help bring others to him. I don't think this is new information, but I bet that person that you were thinking of, I bet Jesus wants them. Um, I, the one thing I'm realizing here is their relationship and the body of Christ are an, an essential part of what Jesus is doing in Saul's conversion. Relationship to Jesus and members of the church. He doesn't leave either of those things out in this. Even though he does this miraculous thing, he still lets it be a church movement using the people of God, which is crazy. Why would he choose us? And so that person you were thinking of before that is really, really far, no way I could ever imagine them coming to Christ. And then the question is, is it possible that enough Jesus could come into their life that they wouldn't be able to resist giving their life to Christ? Is it possible that you could be a conduit for that flow of God's grace into that person? Is that, a, is that something that could happen? Ananias was like, wah. <laughs> but then he did go. So this section for me is a challenge to our doubts in that area. Let yourself be challenged there. And then Saul gets a really interesting call here that kind of threw Ananias, but we don't hear it exactly clear here how it comes through to Saul. But God wants to show him how much he has to suffer for his sake. That is a, an interesting line. So let's go to slide three, and we'll keep reading in verse 19 now, right where we just left off. So for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Yikes. But the disciples, but his disciples, took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So raise your hand if that's happened to you. <laughs> when, when, when someone comes to faith in Christ, what is, what's the typical sign that they perform publicly? You get baptized? Baptizo, dunking in the water, right? Did, Paul, did that happen to Paul? Yes. Immediately. Ananias was there, laid hands, called him brother. That's weird. Because anyway, now they're reconciling, and then he baptizes him. But is it possible that... Baptism, this is a really, I was afraid to ask this question, so this is, not, uh, this is not for the word of God, this is my question. Is it possible that baptism could be followed up by someone then walking away from what they just did and professed? Like it could happen immediately. You know, maybe they just are getting baptized for the wrong reasons, or again, this is that judgy talk. I don't, I don't know the heart of man, but I know the heart of myself. 
What does James mean when he says that faith without works is dead? I'm going to ask another question. When was the last time that you proclaimed Christ as Lord to someone that didn't agree? Yeah, Lois says yesterday, but I believe her. Uh, <laughs> she just moved into a new place, and so now there's all these people. Start over. Um, but I, that's a question. Again, these are, this is what I ask when I'm reading this. So I'll say it one more time. When was the last time you proclaimed Christ as Lord to someone and they weren't in agreement with you? It's, it's kind of easy for me to be up here on a Sunday. Christ is Lord. And you all go, yeah, or yeah, or either way. Um, that's easy, right? Um, it doesn't seem like the same thing here in America, though, right? Where, where Paul is at, is where it's, it's way, way different Right? He's got these synagogues right there, all these people who know about God but are waiting for the Messiah and don't know. And so he can just take it from right there. And we don't know. Like, it's hard to find out where's your coworker coming from. Uh, you actually have to you know, have a friendship with them. Uh, or maybe they'll just offer it up either way. But things are different a little bit here in, in where we are in today's world. So I'm not trying to say we gotta be Paul, but these are the questions that... Okay, have you ever actually been persecuted for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his name? And I think that's a really interesting question <laughs> in today's day and age. You know, like, I wish that if anybody wanted to pray at a football game, they'd be allowed to do that. I wish that that was true. If they wanted to, they could. But I don't necessarily think that when someone says, well, we don't want that here, that that's really persecution. I think that's some weird politi political stuff but I wouldn't call that persecution. I think, have you ever actually been persecuted? You know, and what did and Jesus promised to his followers? Jesus, with his own words, says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And he says, rejoice in that day, leap for joy. Behold, your reward's gonna be great in heaven. Saul is telling people the statement that he literally was killing them for saying. Jesus is the Lord, right? So, but today, are, do you have physical threats from proclaiming Christ as Lord? I haven't experienced that. Maybe you have. There are some in this world who do. But here, it's pretty easy. Um, do you have loss of respect from your worldly friends? Sometimes, probably, um, is that persecution? Sometimes, probably. And, but, it, but again, it, this is for the sake of his name. This is, this is not because you're just being annoying with like, hey, don't smoke or something, right? Like this is, this is for the sake of the name of Jesus, you're actually being persecuted. That, is, that, is that possible? So, so if you've suffered <laughs> actual loss of, 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 of relationships for the sake of the name of Jesus, could you raise your hand if that's true of you? I know I'm putting you on the spot. So, okay, I know two people that I was talking to recently. One of them is my wife, so I talk to her all the time. But who actually lost friends. Who lost friendships. And then, okay, this week was uh, Valentine's Day. I did buy my wife flowers. Um, but I remember thinking, because my boys were all talking about it, we got to fill out like 100 cards for school, and it's cool, that's fine. Um, but... Does anybody actually know who the day is named after? The Roman church calls him Saint Valentine. Why, why has his name been co-opted for romance? He wasn't, he wasn't being romantic. This is tradition from the church, but their story is he was actually beheaded for loving people in the name of Christ. So he was converting Romans, and the emperor said, you gotta go to jail. So he went to jail, and then it was Emperor uh, Claudius II, and he actually became friends with the guy while he was in jail. I think, I don't know how that ancient jail thing works, but um, that's weird, they were friends, but then he actually called him out and said, you need to believe in Christ too. And he goes, no, 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 don't you dare. Actually, I'm gonna make you renounce Christ, and he wouldn't. 
So he got beheaded for the sake of his name. Um, I want, we're going to go to the next slide and we're going to read the next section. And the question, the question in my head as I'm reading this now is, is, is baptism, is getting baptized enough? So slide uh, four is chapter, uh, verse 26 in chapter nine. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. One time... I lost my wallet, and it was a really bad losing of a wallet because I had just been um, interviewing for a job, so I was actually actually had my social security card in my wallet, and like all the things, right? Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, what do you do <laughs> at that point? How do you start from nothing? Um, how do you prove to anybody anything? Uh, and I thought it was really weird. That was the day I learned. I think I was twenty something. That actually, my my uh, Catholic church baptism certificate was recognizable to the government and they let me use that as proof of me <laughs> to get all my stuff back. Is that the craziest thing? It's an institution large enough, I guess. So that's kind of uh, whatever you want to think of that. Um, and then I remember in Yakima, we went to, um, it was my first experience ever at the SBC church. They were looking to hire a person to do some music and um, in those conversations, it, pretty quickly, the conversation came up. So where's your letter? And I'm like, what is a letter? I don't know. I, am I supposed to have a letter? I don't know. What's the letter? And they said, from your, of, of good standing from your other church. And I said, oh, I never, ever heard of that before. Have you heard of that? Probably some of you have. Yeah. Lots of you probably have. So what was, did Paul have a letter? He did not have, and actually, what did he have? He had a resume that said what? <laughs> yeah, don't trust me. It's actually probably still in his pocket, or who knows where that letter was that he did have that said, I'm your enemy. I'm the enemy of the gospel. I'm an enemy of your church. I'm an enemy of you. That's probably what he was carrying. So then, why did they let him join? What? A brother vouched for him. Barnabas, good old Barnabas. He said, hey, hey, hey. He said, I've seen this guy. He's been preaching the name of Christ. He's been suffering for the sake of his name. He was threatened with an inch of his life to hit the lower mountain in a basket. That's why we should let him in. He's proven. He didn't say, oh, he got baptized. I watched him go under the water. Maybe he did say that, but that wasn't the part that they wrote down. It wasn't the part they remembered. And I don't know. Would it have been enough? Like, what if Barnabas said, he got baptized. I watched him go under the water. Would that, I don't, maybe it's enough. I don't know. What he'd said was not that. What he said was, he suffered for the sake of his name. He preached boldly in the name of Christ, publicly saying the opposite of what he used to be all about. Right. I see in him this new life. Yeah. But again, I've been asking crazy questions all morning. So here's the next one that I ask myself when I read this. Why should you guys have let me join our church? Or why should I let you, why should we let you join our church? Did you have the heart of the Lord? Huh? Did you have the heart of the Lord? Do we, yeah, do we see, do we see Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think that's the right answer. 
it's a scary question to ask. Again, it's that whole, are we being judgy? Are we going to kick people out? And I, was like, I, don't, I don't think that's what it's about. It's about, do you see the life of Christ in someone? The gospel means you're a new creation in him. Have I seen that in you? I think that's a fair question. I would want you to ask it of me. I'm just kind of, I think it's heavy, but I think in your life, could you say it of yourself? You know, like, God's done something in me. I was an enemy of God. Now I'm not. I'm a friend of God. And, and, and this, and I've seen, there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I can see it, and I can, others can vouch for it, and I can tell you it's true. I think it's, it's, a, it's a good question for us to ask. This is my last slide. Saul started out as an enemy of God, an enemy of the gospel, an enemy of the church. We're getting down to the, all of it here. Did he muster up in his own strength and bootstrapping? Did he become his own friend of God? Did he do it on his, on his own? As it was, as it was at the, the power of Saul. Did he just all of a sudden, ah, I've got the wisdom now. I just figured out the puzzle in my head and now I know the truth of Christ on his own. Did that happen? No, right? I'm not, it's right. I think that's obvious. And I think that what the questions I'm asking today could lead us to think, I gotta do like Paul did. I gotta go out to Damascus and, and be threatened. Like, I have to follow the, this, isn't, this is what, Paul, what Saul's life was, this is what we see here, but the question for you is, is different. I think it has to come back to what we saw in the very beginning. When Saul was blinded, when Saul was met with the truth, it was in a relationship with Jesus. He was introduced to Jesus in truth for the first time ever. He finally understood the real Jesus and had a conversation with him and understood the truth of that. So I don't want today to be a day where we think about all these things we gotta do better. What we see in Paul, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, overflowing, if that's what it is, it comes out of the relationship with Jesus. So this is later from the same man, what he wrote when they were calling him Paul. In a letter. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that's what he was trying to do, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many, their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul's able to say that in that way later, but I think that's what he was already experiencing. When you see true, the truth of Jesus, when you meet Jesus, 
in the truth of it all, you see him for who he really is as the glorious, wonderful, sweet savior who stooped from his throne to us that don't deserve it. To say, I want you to have the full life that I made you for in the beginning and I'm gonna take your own sin on me. When we see Jesus as the, as the ransom When we're running as enemies and he says, stop, I'll take that. Go the right way in Christ, in me, in God, in the, by the power of, your, of, of my Holy Spirit. When he says that, that's what Paul is talking about here. Putting everything else aside for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So I've been asking all these questions about like, did you, uh, have you not thought of yourself this way or are you an enemy or all these, but it, are you new in Christ on the positive end? Do you know Jesus as the sweetest savior, the only savior, the only true living God, the creator of all things in heaven and earth? Do you know Jesus as the, the Lord for your next step and your plans to move forward as, as, as the one to follow towards everything, the, the giver of good things? the one who can give you wisdom to live rightly, the Holy Spirit in you. Do you know the Holy Spirit in you welling up with living water for others around you? Do you know that? Paul says his own life amounts to the trash heap. And I'm saying that nicely. Compared to knowing Christ. It's Jesus, that's it. It's, it's just only Jesus. As simple as that. I think somebody had asked me one time, how do I know, you know if I'm following God or what I should do with this situation or how do I know about those small decisions I've got to make? You know, and like the most practical question, right? Like I want to live for God. How do I do that with the small things? And I didn't really quite know how to answer. We were talking uh, with a mentor and he just said, hold on. If you are as close to Jesus as you can be, if you know that you're sold out for Jesus in this moment right now, that you are, that he is it, that you're counting all this as rubbish and Jesus is your savior, he's the, you're single-minded towards the savior, then you shouldn't have to worry about all that. You'll probably make the right choice. Paul makes it really clear, and I, I know I'm saying it over and over again, that we can't do it, but he didn't. That we have to rest in Jesus, but also go with Jesus. And in that, there might be some signs that we can look to. Have you ever been persecuted? Does anybody around you, are they hearing the gospel? Have you ever proclaimed Jesus to someone that didn't agree? Have you, those are, if those are happening, that means probably you're as close to Jesus as, as you should be. I'm gonna pray for us to be that. I think, that um, I think that's what the six o'clock prayer thing has been about. It's the answer, it's the, 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 the realization that without the Holy Spirit of God now leading us as this church, we might be all crazy places. But that prayer, if you read the text, it doesn't say, it's six o'clock, everyone pray to feel peace. You know, it says pray that God would use us when he left, before he went to heaven, he said, you're my plan A, see you later. And, he, and they were like looking up at the clouds. Why? Why would he choose this? That's crazy. But he has. So it's weird. And hopefully, like me, you can try to be working out this whole thing that Paul says. I don't, I don't perfectly count everything else as rubbish. I'm tempted often. But I think we can... I think we can I think we can together work toward that. Last week it was surrender. And that's what we see. Paul, Saul didn't have a choice but to surrender. But sometimes we act like we do have that choice. So would you surrender with me toward the will of God?
Jesus, your gospel is challenging. Your gospel gives me hope. The truth that you came to do what I couldn't do to make myself right with God, I mean, it's wonderful. It makes me cry sometimes. It makes me think of all of those who I love that don't know. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to keep moving. Holy Spirit, in our times, that, that as we cry out to you daily, at six o'clock and other times, you would continue to move in us. Like you did with Saul, that you would make him a new creation, that instead of being enemies of the gospel, now in you, that we're not enemies of the gospel, those of us who believe are friends of God, friends of the gospel, but that we'd actually overflow that faith that like Saul couldn't help but just go preach, just to tell those people around him, you don't know yet. And I pray that we'd be people who do that. Sometimes it's scary for myself. Sometimes I just want to be selfish. I know that in, in this life, there is still flesh here battling but I pray that you would help us as a church surrender more to your leading. Surrender more and count all of our life that's not in you as rubbish. Help us do that with each other. Thanks for friends in this church who can, who can help us grow toward that maturity. And Holy Spirit, keep revealing in our own hearts the ways that we don't yet see things that we might be holding on to. We, we long for others to know the hope that is in you, that we have in you, the hope of heaven, the hope of Jesus being with us, our Savior, to be back with the one we were created to be with in the beginning. Thanks that you did this for Saul, that he was a reliable man by your power holy, and your Holy Spirit to pass it on to Barnabas, to Timothy, to others, that they were reliable men, to pass it on and make us reliable men too and women to pass on your truth, your gospel, the real truth of our need for you. I pray this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Um, so this time, some of those questions lead to what we do sometimes here, um, this God stories um, that we've been sharing. And if you're a little new here, it's just a chance um, I, I remember I went to a church one time. I was a teenager with a, with a friend, and all of a sudden people started sharing up, standing up and sharing. And I was like, "What? What's happening?" Um, it was I was kind of scared. Don't be scared. It's something we do here. It's just a chance to share what God is doing, so we can encourage each other toward that. So if He's done something for you this week, or not this week, if He's done something got, for you, I got it, Glenn. In your heart, this is a chance to encourage each other. We need each other for this. So this is a moment you can say, "Hey, God's done this." You guys might as well not get tired of me <laughs> because God is working so much in my life I just can't believe it sometimes. But this week I moved to my residence last Saturday and was so tired last Sunday morning I think I dozed a while. But this week I went up there then on Monday morning I met the, one of the workers there before and she loved me and I loved her and she came into my room to talk to me. On Tuesday morning it was, and she came in, and she saw Bill's big picture over my bed and his other pictures, and she says, your husband died? I said, yes. He died on Thanksgiving Day. He's with the Lord now in heaven. I said, he was born again. He was ready to go. And I said, you know what? When I, my time's up, I'm born again. I'm ready to go now. So she sat down there, and she started talking. She says, so you're born again. I said, yes. And she said, your husband? I said, yes. And I looked at her and I said, what about you? She says, oh, I'm a Catholic. And we talked to the priest. I said, excuse me, Catholics need to be born again too. And we went into the scriptures about how Jesus is the only way. 
I talked to her about when the veil was rent into that she can go straight to Jesus now. And you know, that little girl just sat there and listened and had big tears in her eyes. And when we got through talking and praying that day, I said, now how do you feel? She says, I feel Jesus in my heart. And you folks know what? That's worth everything in my life that has happened to be able just to see one person have Jesus in their life. So if you get tired of my stories, I'm sorry, but God's going to keep bringing them on. He even brought my realtor there on Valentine's Day. I was so down, you know, first time without Bill, poor me. And I was walking to my treadmill. Here come Guy Evans with this big, beautiful bouquet of flowers. And he said, they're for you. Do you mind if you quit walking for a while? So he told me then that the kids from root school were coming. His daughter wanted me to meet her. And then God did the most awesome thing. They needed one person to be interviewed by two kids, and they picked me to do it. And I was given Guy's daughter, Jessica, and our little Kara from right here, Scott's, our pastor's daughter. They went up in my room, and we had such a good time. So see how God is working everything in my life out to the very point of everything. So you guys might as well get used to this. It's going to happen often. Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? You know what? If there's something that God has spurred in your heart that you want to share this morning about this message, I would say that's a God story too. I don't know why I always follow Lois, but I guess because I sit next to her every week. And I keep trying to find you when I go up there, but you're not, you're doing what, I don't know what you're doing up there. But I just want you to know, we have a lot in common. They all accepted me in this church. I was raised Catholic. I thought I knew it all. I thought that, well, he's always been with me. I can do this, but it was Cindy Knight and Fran Oswald that kept pouring in and saying, you need to come back. You need to see something different. You need to experience what we experienced. And I was like, ah. And Cindy's dad, I used to rent from Cindy's dad. And he was like, no, just, let's just talk. And uh, no, I'm okay. Yeah, well, I wasn't okay. We all know nobody's okay, right? But... I feel closer, and after this message today, I feel so much closer and know that I'm doing what God wants me to do with my life. I'm not, I'm, you know, we all try and control, but he's the one that is pushing us and pushing me to be a better example for my kids. And even my daughter, she's one that I thought of today, who's not a believer, when we were on our trip, she knew, and I think I said this before, that this is important to me. And she was okay with that. 